Welcome to the Wall of Soundtrack, a show where we discuss the music and soundtracks behind the very best TV shows and motion pictures. For this episode, we'll be analyzing and discussing the music and soundtrack behind Ryan Coogler's Marvel film, Black Panther. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nadia Foucher Massage. Nadia is a massage therapist in the DC metro area with over 13 years of experience helping clients reduce stress and chronic pain. Nadia provides a variety of massages ranging from deep tissue, Swedish, and prenatal, and other services including aroma, reflexology, and stone therapy. Nadia also provides her services to private businesses and companies to help with stress management for their most important assets, their employees. I've also been a client of Nadia's for over 10 years and I can honestly say she's helped relieve the chronic pain and stress in my neck, upper body, and lower back. As a result, she's helped reduce my stress levels and improve my overall mental health. When I go to Nadia, I come out of the massage feeling like a new person. To schedule an appointment, visit www.nadiafmassage.com or call 301-651-3877. That's 301-651-3877. Black Panther is a Marvel film that was released in 2018. The movie was directed by Ryan Coogler, and the script was written by both Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. The story surrounds T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, heir to the kingdom of Wakanda. T'Challa must both help lead his people and confront a new challenger to his throne. The film was a massive hit, grossing $1.3 billion worldwide, and garnered five Academy Award nominations, winning three for Best Original Score, Best Costume Design, and Best Production Design. Black Panther would be the third film for Ryan Coogler following the Rocky series Creed in 2015 and then Fruit Volley Station in 2013. Black Panther also had a cast of renowned actors and actresses including the following. Chadwick Bosman as T'Challa and Black Panther. Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger Stevens. Lupita Nyong'o as Nakira. Darai Guerrera as Okoye. Martin Freeman as Agent Everett Ross, Daniel Kaluuya as Wakabi, Angela Bassett as Ramonda, Forrest Whitaker as Zuri, and Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw. My returning guest for this discussion is Cy Shackleford. Cy is a writer for the entertainment commentary and review website, Actionagogo. You can follow his articles on the website www.actionagogo.com and you can also follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Shaq underscore house 83. I really enjoyed doing this episode with Cy. We had a blast and we hope you enjoy it as well. Here's my discussion with Cy on the music and soundtrack behind Ryan Coogler's Marvel film, Black Panther. Hi, welcome back. Ah, thank you for having me back, Andrew. Yeah, man. This, this I'm so glad we're doing this movie, man. I've been wanting to watch it for such a long time. Yeah, I saw it three times when it came out in the theater, man. It was that big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a huge film. And I didn't expect it to be as good as it was, though, but it's like, I was blown away. I mean, and as a black person myself, culturally, it spoke to me, really, because it highlighted a lot of a lot of things that the black American community knows is true, but we don't really ever talk about it that much. Yeah, yeah. Me too, man. I was kind of like thinking, I was thinking 
about like the bigger picture and the like message of the movie. And it kind of brought me back to Platoon. I know this sounds corny, but it's like that line that Charlie Sheen says at the end of the movie. It's like where, you know, we weren't fighting them. We were fighting ourselves. Yeah, you can say that. You can say that. That does qualify. Yeah. So um, that's the kind of main idea I got from it. I was like, you know, with all the the, the street violence and gangs and, and that kind of stuff going on, it's like at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, nobody wins sort of, right? Like, you know, it's like right. we're, we're fighting each other. Right. It's like, and this may sound corny, but The Wire season four, when Prez is making up his lesson for the day and his wife asks him what the score was in the football game that he was watching, he's like, nobody, she's like, who's winning? He's like, nobody wins. Just one side loses more slowly than the other. Yeah, that's a good quote. That's a good quote. Um, and b- b- oh, another thing I really liked about this movie was the cast. I mean, yes, they did. I mean, and the, from the cast to the even the um, the directing and the production, it was mostly black. That's that's one thing that, that I found very unique about it, and it succeeded too. I mean, this wasn't your run of the mill black movie that you expected to be like Friday or something like that. Yeah, no. th- this was this was a MCU movie with a message in it. Yeah, and, and great cast. I mean, Forrest Whitaker, talking about Platoon again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Forrest Whitaker, yes, yes. Um, Michael B. Jordan from The Wire again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Angela Bassett. Oh, uh, yeah. Know. They got an Oscar-nominated cast in here. I mean, Angela Bassett, she's been nominated for playing Tina Turner and What's Love Got to Do With It. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker won for Best Actor for The Last King of Scotland. Yeah, I love them in Street Kings, man. I think that's always like such a such an underrated movie. It is underrated. I mean, yeah, it's a it's kind of a cliched cop mill movie a little bit, but like the actors that they got in there and the intricate plot. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, this is actually pretty good. I do like it enough to buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, I gotta buy it because I I just think it's so underrated. I love just Keanu Reeves' performance. He plays this like burned out alcoholic alcoholic cop. cop yeah, <laughs> he has a drink before he actually goes to do a job. Yeah, and then like Terry Crews shows up in like the beginning of the movie, right? Like Terry uh, Crews, a uh, Hugh Laurie from Houses up in there, uh, Common. Yeah, and Hugh Laurie does like a great American accent. I he, mean, he does. Yeah, I mean, for the film though, I thought he was basically playing okay, your house, but you're playing house as a police officer because he's had the same personality a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he played an asshole, mm-hmm. <laughs> a well-intentioned asshole. Yeah, but uh, he actually ends up helping Keanu Reeves towards the end of the movie, surprisingly, right? Yeah, he, like He was steering him along all along. I mean, when he revealed, actually, you were the plan. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, dude, this movie made a ton of money, too. I mean... $1.3 billion in the box office. And yeah. Its first, its, first, uh, we, its first weekend out of the gate, it grossed like over a half a billion right there. Yeah, yeah. And another thing I really love about this movie is like the, the fusion of different types of music. And, you know, we'll get into that more in a second, but... I love the how they use the the, the Snoop Dogg and the uh, what's the it Psy. the Psy PS, guy PSY yeah yeah in yeah. the uh, the South Korean um, what's it uh, Pusan I think or mm-hmm. right when they were showing the South Korea skyline when they were going to that scene yes when they played the song yeah that was cool um, kind of kind of a nod to 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 you know South Korea and yes it was yeah and then that guy was real famous for Gangnam Style Gang, yeah Gangnam Style you yeah, making people dance and whatnot yeah. Yeah, doing their own kind of rendition of it on social media. Yeah, yeah. And and but but that guy he made it. He made people think that my name has a P in it. <laughs> my name only has two letters S Y. That's it. No, there's no third letter. No P S P S Y like a psionic or a psychic or something. Yeah, 
And I'm sure I pronounced that town incorrectly, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> idiot. Well, but uh, you know, um, I forgot to ask you, man. What's going on with Action A Go Go? Oh, remember last time? What's it called? It's on. It's on hiatus. On Action hiatus. Go-Go. Yeah. I think the last time I checked, there was a top ten movies of um of the decade or the decade. Yeah, there was that on there. I th- yeah, I saw that as well too. But other than that, it's like no new material will be coming out from Action A Go Go for the time being. Okay. But other things that's new is, um, with me, that is, I saw Bad Boys Part 3 or Bad Boys for Life in the theater two Fridays back. Better than I thought, even though it's been 16 years since the last Bad Boys movie. Yeah. And But, like, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence now, they're more like Danny Glover and, and uh, Mel Gibson now. Like, they're yeah. too old for this shit, and it shows. <laughs> well, with Martin, it does. He's rounder now, but Will Smith, you, that guy doesn't age, and both them dudes are over 50. Yeah. It's incredible, like how he just he can stay in shape and yeah, it is. look like he he did back like ten years ago. Yeah, almost, yeah, like not Ali level, but still, it's like he has a relatively youthful appearance. Yeah, yeah, and um, was Michael Bay directing? I or? think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They, they had him. They had um, they have lot plenty of the same characters and the same cast members. The the top two, of course. And Joe Pantoliano, who's their captain. Yeah, he was in it. Yeah, he was in it. I love Thank- Joe Pantoliano. He's great. Thank God. I mean, like, dude, he he was great in The Sopranos, but he was good in this, all the bad boys, like the previous two. He was. Know? The first one, he made me laugh. I mean, he was more serious in the first one, but he would go back and forth with his uh his boss, that lady Sinclair. You don't have the authority to shut me down, so until you do, stay the hell out of here. They should, <laughs> they should just fucking get that shit over with what Will Smith said. Yeah. You know, it, and... It, we had covered some other films like Blow uh, with Jordi Moya, and then he was in the second one. Yeah. Uh, he plays uh, the drug lord, right? I think. The main drug lord, I think so, yeah. Yeah, he was so good in that, too. Like, he just, he killed it. Is he is he, is he a Hispanic actor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he just, he brings his A game, I feel like. That. And he was in uh, Jack Ryan. I remember I remember that. The second yes. season. Oh, man, he was good in that, too. Like. Man, he's a good actor. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's like one of those. Like, I, I feel like he's up to par with like Javier Bardem. You know, he's just he he brings his A game all the time. He's got and, that he's got that menace about him. Yes, he does. Where and he knows it, and it allows him to bring his A game, like you said. Yeah, I feel like you know, like Javier Bardem and Collateral, where he plays just that one little part, that little like drug lord. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I didn't think much of him in that movie until I saw No Country for Old Men. Actually. Yeah. I mean, that movie's insane. Yeah, yeah, insane is right. And his character, it's like a Mexican Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, a great cast, you know, and a great cast in this movie. Uh, Let's let's jump into it, man. Let's get into this soundtrack. Um, You know, first song by uh, Too Short, uh, In the Trunk. It, it, it makes a lot of sense for them to use that song. It's a, they use that in the, the flashback scene at the beginning of the film in Oakland in 92, during the Rodney King riots and whatnot. Yeah. And Ryan Coogler, the director, he's from Oakland, and the Black Panther Party started in Oakland. So that was kind of having a flashback scene in that setting. It's kind of a nod to the directors, to where the director comes from and the title itself. Yeah. And Too Short was from Oakland as well. He's, the from, rap- he's from Oakland, yeah. And he's yeah. still going strong making records. He must have like 30-something albums out. That's awesome, man. Like I love I love bands and artists that are like prolific like that. They just keep putting out like stuff and and – you know, they keep trying new things. They keep trying new things, and they're not deterred by, like, record sales or even, like, the changing times and whatnot. Well, they can change with the times, but it's, like, the fact that he's been he's been going on for 30 years now or 30-plus years now and still doing it, you can't knock him for that, and you got to give him props for that. Yeah, I mean, he, he 
he collaborates with a lot of different, uh, you know, hip hop artists. I mean, he was when the whole East West thing was going. He was he was doing collaborations with with Biggie and yeah, you know was, Tupac he, and and he was on Jay Z's uh, his third album, the big album, Volume Two, Hard Knock Life. He was on that record. Yeah, and he actually collaborated with like like Chance the Rapper. I think he produced like one of his records. I think so. Yeah. So I mean, he's pretty prolific, and uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing to see him still doing stuff. Yeah, the West Coast they love too short. Yeah. Well, he's from there, of course, but he's like one of their like uh, seminal hip hop figures. Yeah. So this song, I mean, it's played, you know, in that scene where they're playing basketball mm-hmm. uh, outside on the, the court, outside the apartment and the projects. And um, I, I think it just fits so well with that scene. And you really get a taste of like how how rough times were, you know, and yeah. and. You don't even—they don't even have like a basketball net. I mean, no, they it's got like, like a, like a like little a record like record crate. Yeah, like a record crate. Like taped to like a like the back of a wooden board or something. Yeah, and they made it work somehow. I'm see, I've seen hood areas like that before. I'm like, they make it work. I played on those kind of same areas before too. It almost reminded me of like that scene at the end of Blue Chips where they're walking. Like, but I mean, obviously, it's not exactly the same. But right. where the kids are playing basketball mm-hmm. and it, like he's walking through kind of a rough area. And he's getting an idea too, and the movie ends on that note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of brought me back to that. But um, yeah, this scene was good. I mean, it was a good, it was a good flashback scene. And considering how they cut it short deliberately, just kept you wondering, what the hell does this have to do with the rest of the film? Yeah, and then you find out later. And out later, he's like, that makes sense. The kid, that kid was Killmonger. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. now it makes a lot more sense, you know. It does, yeah. And there, and the song is still playing even as it goes in the apartment itself, where we see the Rodney King rides taking place in that CRT television, a Super Nintendo console out there and whatnot. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is straight up '92. It is, and a Public Enemy poster in there. Yeah, that's what I was gonna mention. I I, I noticed that, you know, when the flashback uh, when Killmonger, he's like. Uh, he's talking to his like father yeah. and um, like, he's like kind of walking through the apartment and you see the public enemies, like mm-hmm. the, the poster right there. Yeah. His father was really, they mentioned in the film that his father, even though he's a Wakandan prince and basically a CIA sleeper agent for the country coming to America and having that undercover assignment, it changed him, it radicalized him. So you see a lot of Huey Newton posters, public enemy and how he's talking with his boy, uh, James in there, not knowing that James is really a Wakandan as well too. Yeah. But like, what really struck me is, and Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us plays and Jobu, Killmonger's father, right? And what struck me in the film is like, when the Wakandans start knocking on the door and James is like, it's these two Grace Jones looking chicks, they got spears, let him in. You sure? <laughs> they won't knock again. And then as they walk in, he switches up his code and goes to his Wakandan accent. I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> that, that, that's a theme in the film, that code switching that people sometimes have to do, especially people of color. Like, uh, like I know plenty of dudes that have, like, African parents who are from Africa, but their children were raised here. So when they talk with me, they're more acclimated to, like, black American culture. But when they go home and talk to their parents, right, they switch up their accent, switch up their language, and their whole persona pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, uh, you know... You, what that scene is so interesting because um like i said like it, it brings you back to all these different things that were going on during that time like you said the 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 rodney king riots yes. um i just like how they kind of brought that into the marvel like into a marvel movie they brought like kind of social issues yes that were real that actually happened like it wasn't this isn't like make believe like this stuff actually happened well that's a lot of 
Excuse me. That's a lot of what Marvel's characters are based off of social issues. Like in the sixties, like the X Men were based off like the civil rights thing going on or whatnot. Like um, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, they're two poor Jewish guys from New York, and they know a lot about discrimination themselves, being on the receiving end of it, and they know that black people were on that too. That's why they created the X Men. Like. They're the other. They're the people that just want acceptance, really, and the mainstream humanity won't accept them because of hate and fear. Yeah. Or like, or the Black Panther. He was created by them, too. And a side note, most people say the Black Panther is the first, well, let me just clarify. The Black Panther is the first black superhero, but the Falcon, who we later see in later MCU movies, he's the first African-American, black American superhero. Gotcha. And I think what's really interesting about the title black panther is i think initially you know at least when i was in school we were learning about the black panthers there's kind of a negative violent connotation that they were like a which i think it depends how you kind of look at it right look at it yes but i like how they took that name and kind of turned it maybe turned it around or like kind of put more of a positive message out there yes they yeah i think they did especially with this film i mean all the all the kids that I would see at like like Comic Cons or like even just out in the public just doing the Wakanda Forever symbol. And it's like it's like it's like you you instinctively know what that means, really. Yeah. You just salute them right back with it. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's I, like I, a like a secret handshake. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's an interesting take on it because I think, you know, they always say it depends, you know, history depends on who writes the, the, the history, right? The history book. And it, Well, history is an interpretive discipline, but I see your point. Yeah. And, I, and um, so I just like how they kind of took that name, which, like I said, like that, that group kind of, I, I, th- I would think people kind of have a, a aggressive kind of violent, like. They have those connotations. To yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Which is, may not necessarily be true. Right. right. And they, they uh, kind of. Had a positive. They had a, they they had a positive mission. The Black Panther Party, yeah, but it's like because of because they were militant black and black people. The mainstream mainstream America got like were apprehensive of them, quick to label them as aggressive, violent. But if they just look closer, they were they were more than they were more than that. Yeah, and it's almost like you know remember in Ali with Malcolm X, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think there was like. I think he was more aggressive than like Martin Luther King, right? Like he, he was, yeah. When he was with the Nation of Islam, he was way more aggressive. Was talking shit about King, other civil rights leaders who he felt weren't doing anything. But then when he saw, when he saw the hypocrisy in the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad basically, basically being a serial seed spreader, trying to get his, trying to have a kid in fertile grounds, as he says. Basically, he was fucking all of his young secretaries. Okay. And all the other members of the nation taking money as well to buy them those big houses. Malcolm X, that's when that was the start of when he began to split from them. Yeah. So uh and yeah. even and even going to Islam itself and making the pilgrimage to Mecca, he saw then and there that not all white people were bad. There were white Muslims, Asian Muslims there, he drank from the same cup as them, prayed with them, and it changed his outlook. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just I I I like how this that they 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 took it you know they did a lot more i feel like with this film and there's um it makes you think you know it makes you think about history it makes you think about more than just like you know the maybe the 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 storyline and like marvel like franchise right it it makes you think you know dive a little deeper it makes you kind of exercise your brain which i think is uh a good thing it does yeah that's one thing i like that's why i've always been more of a marvel guy than a dc guy when it comes to collecting comics because they they add these. They add real world events into their continuity, 
and they find a way to make it as part of the story as well too and they they humanize they basically they humanize their characters and their storylines pretty much give yeah. them make it, give them real world issues along with real world personal problems that's why I didn't really fuck with DC Comics way too much growing up. I mean, because the way they just they just look like gods, Titans. Yeah. Superman, Flash, uh, Shazam, Batman's the only one I can actually I actually think has has more of a real world something that could happen to anybody. His parents getting killed right in front of him. Right. But at the core of Batman, really, he's just a he's just a psychologically fucked up dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like you watch your parents get killed and you dress up like a flying rat. <laughs> yeah and then like the in that character like joker character i mean and, and the thing is he's more intriguing and like but but i shouldn't you shouldn't be rooting for the villain but the villain he makes sense in a twisted way yeah you understand like his pain like you know and why he's like the way he is because of society and did you see the joker movie with joaquin phoenix i haven't seen it yet i've seen clips of 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 some of the really good scenes, you know, with Robert De Niro yeah. and, uh, and, and, and Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I think they were on the talk show and he ends up like shooting him. Yeah. Which that, we were just like, Whoa, that you was, know? that was a good scene. When I saw it in the theater, excuse me, when I saw it in the theater, yes, shot him. And you can't help but think the guy kind of deserved it. Yeah. He was kind of being a little bit of a jerk. Like, he was. I mean, he did bring him on the show to make fun of him. And the guy, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character was really, He's really mentally ill and sensitive as is and really just wants to be understood. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely it was like like Todd Phillips said it's a different movie. Like it is it is different. I mean, it's not based on any DC continuity, but it is it does try to put make the villain the a sympathetic protagonist. Yeah. And it, and it succeeds. It does succeed in that. And it got Joaquin a long a long overdue Oscar. Yeah, he deserved it. I mean, he's just an incredible actor. He ever since he was a kid, like the movie Parenthood, I thought he was really good in that. Yeah, I, I loved him in Gladiator. Um, I loved him in uh, Walk the Line. Walk the Line is an incredible movie. Um, I, I thought Signs was good. I thought he was good in that. I like that too. I just like that movie. I, it's got like kind of it's got like a mixture of like a lot of uh, comedy in it and like actual drama Science. and like side yeah. yeah it does i remember when i first saw it in the theater i was when i first saw it initially i guess because of the group i was with i thought this movie is skimp it's like this is like Shyamalan is slipping but then later a few months later when it came out on dvd i bought it and unbreakable which which i've gone on about about how pissed i was when i initially saw that film yeah but seeing them in, in a, as an older older teenager i guess and with newer eyes and without people around me to influence how i how i look at it those were actually good films signs especially yeah and he i feel like he kind of had his like run there m night Shyamalan, where he was he, he was on fire like the guy he was just making great movies like one after another and right. then it kind of fizzled out with that one with mark Wahlberg, right was it uh, the lady in the water yeah people say before that with the village that came out in 04 with bryce dallas howard Okay. But I'm like, Village wasn't all that bad, actually. It, the twist, although the twist that came in the middle of the movie had me thinking, wait a minute, am I still watching the same film? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you about this title of this song, um, In the Trunk. Does that, like, can you, is there something, is there more to that title? I mean, like. Uh, it can be, yeah. I mean, usually when a rapper talks about going in the trunk, they usually mean going out, going in the trunk and getting a weapon to shoot somebody. Right. 
Okay. Or like what's it called? Or just going to trunk and just hustle hustle some sell, some mixtapes, yeah, mix drugs tapes. or something. Yeah. Okay. But I've heard various rappers make a reference to the trunk. They say, "What's inside? What is? What does he say? What's it called? My, what's inside my trunk can kill? Because I'm quick to, because it goes off will like Uncle Phil." Yeah. Okay. Because I was, uh, I was like, I know there's something more to this, like you know, or something kind of. Uh, Especially Cali, they they're the ones that that coined the phrase in the trunk. Yeah. So when we look at the lyrics here, it says, "A rap all about you called this a special request, Oakland." You know I go way back to Cug Nuts, Fat fat Stangs, and Cadillacs when homeboys put Vogues on any car with six and nines smoking burner. So the, obviously the reference is there to Oakland. I mean, yes. it just fits. It, it kind of brings it all together. It brings it all together, yeah. I mean, given the setting, I mean, you got to have something in there about some rapper from Oakland spitting about Oakland. Yeah. So I feel I feel like it works, works really well. It works well in that scene. It does. So we go to our next song. Um, it's actually by the composer Lug- Lugwig uh, Gorenson. Yeah, Swedish composer. He also composed the themes for uh, Creed and Creed Two. Awesome. Yeah. Like, I think one thing I failed to mention is this movie also was was nominated for five Academy Awards, won three yeah. for you know best score, uh, production design, and I think another one was costumes. Costume. Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. And it was nominated for best picture as well too. Yeah. I'm glad it got. I'm glad it won its three Oscars, though. I mean, really, that was a big thing for a, for a comic book adaptation movie. Yeah, I mean that's huge for you know the it, MCU. <laughs> it is huge. It definitely is huge, no doubt. And like, but years before that, it was like the the sci-fi action film comic book comic book genre. They weren't taking yes, <laughs> they weren't taking all that seriously by the uh, by the film industry until '86 when Aliens dropped. And Sigourney Weaver got an Oscar nod for for Best Actress for her role in that. Yeah, it's like that. That was really big, and I think that's what kickstarted the the Academy of Motion Pictures starting taking these kind of movies seriously. Yeah, Aliens is incredible film. Yeah, right? an example of when the sequel is better than the original. Yeah, yeah, this is two different movies. You know, it's it's like they are. I mean, Alien, the first one, that was like a horror movie in space. The second one was more of a sci-fi action drama, character driven. Yeah, and. I feel like the first Terminator was kind of like an act, a mixture of action and like sci-fi horror, maybe. Yeah, it was. It was really. It was very ominous. Yeah, and then the second movie is like pretty much an action movie, like a, a character action movie with like plenty of character drama and like special effects that still hold up this day. Yeah, and I that's why I think it was so genius that the producers to go out and get Jim Cameron to do the second Aliens movie because like I feel like. He had so much experience, like bringing that, you know, type of movie, like changing, being able to do similar type of movie, like for the first one, and then yeah. doing a sequel that's, you know, lines up. That's an that's an action movie. That that's a really hell of a feat right there. And like interesting thing to that, a friend of mine told me that when the the Alien franchise was being was being produced on Blu-ray, um, what's it called? They um they didn't consult Ridley Scott to do anything with Alien, the first one, right? But Cameron's like, no, 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 you do whatever you want to with the other Alien movies. I'm going to do, I'm going to get a Blu-ray company to do mine so it looks right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's super, you know, it's his vision. You know, he wants to have control of his, I don't of blame his him. vision. And, you know, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. More directors should be like that, really. Like, like have more control over their vision and let not let the studios take, take, take it by the horns. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like MCU, for example, the Marvel Studios. For the most part, they let their directors do what they want, really. It's like Disney. Disney doesn't even... Disney owns Marvel, and they own Marvel after the first Iron Man came out. 
and thus Marvel Studios as well. But like they give Marvel Studios plenty of autonomy. It's like, yeah, we own y'all, but we're not gonna fuck with y'all because y'all are y'all are a cash cow. Keep doing what you do. Yeah, exactly. That's the way it should be. Um, so we go back to this track, you know, um, Wakanda Wakanda by uh, Ludwig uh, Gorenson, and um, it's it's really good. It fits fits really well with kind of the the that kind of helicopter shot, you know, where it's establishing, uh, you know, the uh, Wakanda itself, like the the country, the border, how it looks like a third world, like a farming areas and whatnot. Yeah, but then they're flying towards the forest, the rainforest, and T'Challa's like, he's never gets old. Yeah. what's oh that's, that's a hologram oh yeah <laughs> y'all got a city okay yeah and they're like technologically like all of this like they have all this technology i think it's kind of it's kind of crazy in one way because you have like you know you have like the countryside you mm-hmm. have the farmland and then you have that contrast where you see all this technology and you're kind of like what and, like, the pe- and the people that we saw earlier like walking around the field with the horses they know they know yeah they know what's up <laughs> yeah Kokana knows what's up it's like they like we get their aid too but the rest of africa and the rest of the world they're not getting they're not getting shit yeah so i i think this, he, you know this is probably why he won an academy award i mean he he's just the music just fits so well with the photography and and um you get those cultural influences as well with yes. the, with the uh, you know string um, the strings and uh, and the percussion and different types of uh, like instruments used. Yeah, Gorenson definitely knows what he's doing. He's pretty versatile, and all, that's probably that's probably why Ryan Coogler, the director, has already has always employed him in the films that he's directed. Yeah. He was in Fruitvale Station as well too. Did the score for that, Creed one and two, and Black Panther. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, he's an ace. It sounds he, like he is. I mean, with the Academy Award win, it's like okay, you you're going to be sought out a lot more now. You prepare to get some more work and more paychecks. Yeah. I actually misspoke. Um, I apologize. It was actually this guy, um, uh, Ludwig Gorenson, who produced Chance the Rapper. Not okay. A, yeah. Not, but, a, not too short? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's but, tr- but too short, you know, definitely had a lot of production uh, under his belt with some uh, really, really, really uh, heavyweight rappers. Oh, he does. He yeah. does, definitely. So we go to our next track, Idrissa Sumaro. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, it's called Bera Bear. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a really cool track too. It's played while they're, um, while uh, T'Challa and um, the other character. And Koye. Uh, something like that. Koye. Um, they walk into the market. They're, 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 they're talking. The market scene was cool. It's like they got all these dudes like it felt like New York City almost. People like trying to sell you shit out in the street. Yeah. But they got like cool technology, like holographic technology and handheld devices, uh, food that they're grilling right for you out in the street. I'm like, this is dope. Yeah, it's cool. It was really cool. And um, what's really cool about um, about this uh, musician is the, uh, he, he actually taught uh, he actually taught music to um, to blind people. To blind people, oh yeah, like, yeah, to blind students. So, uh, and then I, I kind of made a little mention of that, you know, uh, in, in our notes here. I was uh, there's a there's a line of dialogue, and uh, she says, I, "I can't just turn a blind eye." I think that, that I can't I, that can't be coincidence. Yeah, yeah, it had to be. I feel like intentional. Um, a very I, a very subtle a very subtle nod. Yeah, and um, I feel like you know, Kugler wrote the the script too, right? I mean, yeah, Kugler helped. Kugler and somebody else wrote the script. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of cool backstory behind behind the the this artist, and I, I like how Kugler does that throughout the film. You know, especially with the with um, 
too short. You know, yeah. there's like backstory behind that too, and how he kind of brings it together. Um, he, every, he's like Jordan Peele's. Like everything in this film, it was deliberate and intentional. Yeah. And then, our, then this next track, I mean, uh, Psy, Hangover featuring Snoop Dogg. When they're in South Korea. Yeah. yeah. That, the South Korean scene, the whole scene, and the, everything in there was dope. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, like the, just like you see, you know, this, this town at night mm-hmm. um, uh, and, uh, you know, the lights, it, it kind of reminded me of uh, a film that I saw called Black Hat with, um, with uh, it was done by Michael Mann, the hacking movie. Did it I don't come know out if you, in 2000s or before? It, it came out uh it came out probably like 2 or 3 years ago. Okay. okay. And um but the, it's shot in like Malaysia and like they just the lights they use Who who's in it? Um Oh man, I'm trying to remember. He's an Australian actor. Um he was in some Marvel. I'm trying to remember what his name Chris is. Chris Hemsworth? Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, okay. he was in it. Um it was it was it was okay, but it, this this definitely reminded me of that, like the photography and like the lights and how they oh, yeah. looked, and you oh, know, and especially when they go inside the place, I'm like, this is Vegas, pretty much. Yeah. And and another thing that I seen was what's it called, uh, T'Challa, uh, Okoye, and uh, what's that character? It's Lupita and Yongo's character. We just said it. Ao, I forget her name. Yeah. But they go in there and they're color coordinated, like red, black, and green. Yeah. I'm like I'm like that that's deliberate the African the African flag right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. these like colors. these little, you know, like subtle like things that he puts into the the movie. I think are just really cool. Um I liked it when they walked through the uh they walked through the uh what's it the metal detectors uh-huh. and then uh like that guy, what's it claw um claw? Claw. Yeah, he he walks through and like the alarm goes off cuz he's got that that prosthesis. Yeah. Reminded me of that scene in the Matrix, remember, where like they walk through and it's like the, the alarm goes off and he's like all them guns he's got yeah, in his he, trench coat. He's like, Can you sir, can you empty your pockets? And he opens the he opens his trench coat and he's like, Holy shit. I'm, like, I'm, I'm empty my clips, watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh then then they they walk in, um they walk into uh I'm I'm sorry, this was like the establishing shot where the, this music's played. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um But they show the skyline in South Korea and yeah. the buildings. Yeah, and this was um it was a, it was a good it was a good track. I like how they kind of mixed the different styles. You had you know Snoop Dogg hip hop, and then kind of mixing the South Korean kind of pop. I do like I do like the genre bending that they did in there. It was dope. Yeah, but uh, and I and I I mean it did look like a party town. I mean there's a casino there. <laughs> oh yeah, it did. Even the people that were on the street just like just like panhandling and hustling. It's like it's like they know what they're doing. It's like okay, you go behind closed doors. And it's like okay. Y'all got y'all got a craps table, blackjack table, yeah. And Stan Lee's have been there too, taking what T'Challa wouldn't take. I'm like, I'm already rich. I don't need to take that. Yeah, I like I like how he's in this movie. It's just uh, like he always makes a cameo. He always had to. I mean, you every Stan, every Marvel movie, even the ones that came out before Marvel Studios was even established, they had a Stan Lee cameo in there. Yeah, was this his last like? No, or, no. Or, okay. I want to say that uh, I think he wasn't what's it called, um, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Because that was the last MCU movie that came out last year, and he was definitely in Endgame. Okay. And Captain Marvel as well was like, I doubt that we're gonna have any more Stanley cameos in any more MCU films. Yeah. Unless they digital, digital, digitally digitally reproduce yeah. them, but it's like, I don't know. I, I I'll know it's fake, but it's like unless you do a really good job, like uh like like Tron Legacy. Yeah, or like the Star Wars movie did with uh, yeah. what's her name. 
Princess Leia, Leia. Uh, yeah. Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like digitally enhanced, you know, and p- included her in the movie. And what would have been a good digital enhancement if those guys weren't so goddamn old? The Irishman. Oh yeah. Because even the digital enhancement scenes in the scenes in the flashback, it's like okay, it's not working because these guys they're moving so slow and they're that old. They're in their seventies and eighties now. Yeah. There was one scene where, like, like De Niro's character, um, Sheeran, like, beats up one of beats the, up the, the the grocery store clerk guy for who was talking to his daughter, and like, you know, that wasn't him. Yeah, I was like, I was like, he looks, he looks too old to be like in his movements, you know. Yeah, he, he's like trying to kick the guy, and I'm like, he he's not moving right. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He ain't. <laughs> he ain't no spring chicken no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 he was he was going to town on that guy he broke his hand and he was he was or the stunt double was rather but still yeah um but anyways back to this song um yeah it's cool it's it, it, it and, and you know you hear you hear the like you know side doing the, the whole like he was just repeating you know a chorus it's, and it's, then it's Snoop a party Dogg. vibe yeah yeah so it's a good party song and when you look at the lyrics i mean it's pretty obvious hangover 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 bend over party's over it ain't over can't can't not find a single piece of me game over and then yeah there you go right <laughs> and, and the whole action scene in there is like the fight scene in there and Okoye she was just the chick that plays Okoye uh di- what's her face uh she played on The Walking Dead as Michonne uh Denai Denai Guria Guria yeah she she was eager to start a fight she was eager to get in a fight because <laughs> she had that wig on her head yeah yeah. And you just knew it was going to happen. I mean, it was bound to, it was bound to, but the way she was throwing down in there and the car chase scene, like, yo, yo, yeah. this is some good, this is some good action right here. Very well directed. Yeah. And the quality, like the, the photography was really good. And I mean, cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I feel like there was like mixture of like fighting, like, you know, uh, like melee, like combat, like hand, hand combat. And then like, there's obviously like the guns, Oh yeah, the shootout parts of it, you know, mm-hmm. especially with Killmonger. I mean, Killmonger and Claw, when he broke apart their car, yeah, and then uh, Koye, she has to, she's in the air, flipping in slow motion, grabbing her spear, and then using a part of the car as like a, a surfboard against the street. <laughs> like, that was cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was awesome, man. And then, uh, you know, it, like I said again, like I, I just feel like it's a great mixture of like action and like uh, you know drama as well, and kind of blended together into mm-hmm. that Marvel uh, Marvel film. So when they walk into the casino, the Kendrick Lamar, he comes on, right? The song. Yeah. Uh, so it's him in The Weeknd, who The Weeknd is like a Canadian. A Canadian rat singer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's Pray For Me. I like this song. The song works really well on that when they walk into the casino. They do, yes. It works really well. And we'll, and this is in part what made me buy the soundtrack back in 2018. Yeah. I kept hearing this and the other song, All the Stars. They kept playing it incessantly in the gym, right? And then when my cousin Brian, when he sent it to me, he sent it to me via Dropbox. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a listen at long last, even though I think those two songs were annoying as fuck. I listened <laughs> to this whole album. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Then I called my cousin up like, first and foremost, uh, thank you and, and fuck you too. <laughs> like, why are you saying fuck you to me for? It's like, because now I got to buy another CD from my collection. <laughs> and it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it, though. Yeah. It was worth it. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, right? But I, I feel like there's a lot of like you know build up in this song, kind of like to the next scene, which is that that car chase, you know. Oh yes, most and the, definitely. And the fight, and it's kind of like yeah, pray for me because like shit's going down, right? Like, and plus it could also be looked at as like a, a foreshadowing for, for what we later learn about Killmonger. Yeah, 
Exactly. It's like, I mean, that, that boy could use a prayer and a lot. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's, he's like you said, he's all over. Kendrick Lamar is all over this soundtrack. Like He is, I think. And he helped executive produce it as well, too. And the same year that the soundtrack came out, I think he got like a, a Nobel Prize Award for, or something. Oh, really? Yeah. It was at the Kennedy Center. Okay. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar, he's done a lot of big things for music and hip hop. Although personally, I think his best album was 2012's A Good Kid, Mad City. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading up. I don't, I don't know as much about him, but I, I know he's considered like one of the uh, most influential rappers out there. Like, he is. He is considered one of the most influential. It's like <clears throat> he can rap, no doubt, especially when he has like a concept in mind. Because like Good Kid, Mad City was like a, it was like a Tarantino movie with a splintered chronology all throughout the album. Really, it's like where does where does this song take? Where does the the events in this song? Where do they take place at compared to the skit? Yeah. And somebody actually like put like a an ordered version of the album on the internet like in 2013 of how the songs are supposed to go uh, how the album story is in chronological order. They split right. apart dialogue, uh split apart skits and whatnot. Nice. I'm like, "Thank you. This makes it easier for me to follow." Do you feel like he's he's different than other like, you know, rappers in the sense that he's like a little bit more diverse like he does, he can switch it up and do kind of songs that are a little bit more poppy and then like other ones that are like you said more you know hip hop focused he he can definitely do that yeah he's like a not not on drake's level as in he doesn't sing or doesn't do nothing like that but like he's definitely can do a lot and people will still people will still check it out because of his reputation yeah yeah so next track here, it's actually not a song that's like dubbed, you know, into the to the, to yeah. the editing. It's actually sung by uh, Andy Circus as Andy Circus during, during the interrogation scene with Agent Ross. Yeah, it's funny. Hado- it's by Hadaway. What is love? Which is a, a you know a, such a cliche song yeah. from the nineties. It is. I remember hearing it on that that radio station uh, Z one hundred four back in the mid nineties when they used to play techno and all that electronic music. Yeah, they played this frequently. And most prominently, like you have written in the notes, I remember it was using that SNL film, A Night at the Roxbury with <laughs> yeah, Chris Kattan and a Will Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny that it comes up in this scene in the interrogation room because, like, you know, like, in all the cop movies, like, you know, uh, like, and even shows like True Detective where, you, you know... You have the interrogation scene and, you know, like Russ or like somebody's going to play good, Someone, bad, good cop or bad cop. And, yeah. and someone's going to potentially get beat down. Physically hurt or verbally hurt in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And then he starts singing it right when the agent, uh, what's when his name? Agent Ross comes agent back Ross. in. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you're just like subverting the, the, that kind of trope. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, he's like, don't hurt me. <laughs> no more. <laughs> and the way he looks at he's saying is like, you look like a crazy dude. And he has a big cut, like gash right above his like head. Gash above his head and the tattoos on his head and whatnot. And, and only one arm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, he did a good job, Andy Circus. Like, yeah, they didn't. Um, uh, Claw in the book, he's more he's more superhuman power. He's actually living sound in the book. I, w- I was thinking they were going to try to do that and make him the villain at first until it became apparent that Michael B. Jordan characters is, is the real villain. Yeah. Yeah, he did a great job as well. Killmonger, yeah, he he represents black frustration right there. <laughs> Destruction Boys. So the next track, uh, uh, Amunye, um, uh-huh. featuring Benny Maverick and Delada Mushinkisi. Mushinkisi, yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about them. Like, a, lo- a lot of the people in the soundtrack I didn't know much about. I mean, Kendrick really, he really outdid himself with this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they're apparently a hip hop group from South Africa. Yeah. 
which um, I guess kind of just works really well with uh, with um, uh, clues or claw. Is it claw? Claw. Claw. Yeah. His um, his character. Um, Idiot. <laughs> he's, he's like claw is like German or some kind of Scandinavian in in, in the book. Ulysses X Claw. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible at pronouncing names, <laughs> as you can tell. But just claw, uh, okay, claw. Um, you know, in the scene, he shot. Um, you know, uh, Agent Agent Ross was shot by Killmonger's people. Yeah, yeah. And he got he had a spinal injury, and then they play this song when they're trying to evaluate his prognosis. And Shuri's like, they bring him back to Wakanda against everybody's uh, objection. Yeah. And then, and then they help him out. They heal him, heal him up, and <laughs> and Shooty's reaction to it—that's a nod to them having to take care of a uh, uh, James Buchanan Barnes, the Winter Soldier. Okay. Shooty, when when Shooty, when she sees him bringing them in, she opens the sheet, and looks at him, and is like, "Oh, great! Another wounded white boy, broken white boy for me to take care of. This is going to be fun." <laughs> yes, yeah, lots of great humor in this movie. <laughs> it is a lot of good humor. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like when she called him a colonizer, do not sneak up on me, colonizer. Colonizer. colonizer oh my gosh <laughs> that's that's funny I mean, you had black people calling white people that jokingly sometimes after the film too i mean it's died down in the past two years since then but it was it was going on yeah there's all that like subtle humor you know and and also uh speaking of which i mean i'm not trying to go back to the last song but when you mentioned snl like what is love being prominent in the snl movie in 2018, when SNL had uh, Chadwick Boseman hosting, and they had a bunch of parodies of Black Panther, <laughs> um, <laughs> the one scene they had that was funny as hell was when they showed what happens when black people and white people, after they go see Black Panther, the black people are all like, oh, I loved it, bro. Man, Wakanda forever. Salute, son. No doubt. And then they had Pete Davidson come out. Bro, did you see that movie Black Panther? I love it. Wakanda. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh! Called it Wakanda and tried to do the Wakanda salute, but looked like a white guy trying to hump a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But oh man! And then the was the, the song. Um, yeah, it was the next one to by to uh, to mellow the mm -hmm. rhythm. Who you know, like you said, this is another artist I wasn't as um kind of familiar with. Yeah, but um, you know, it, it's played when Agent Ross uh, he wakes up in Shuri's lab. You know, yeah, and uh, has recovered, um, but uh, yeah, to mellow. It's it's like a, I want to say it's faith, like a faith or belief, like you just wrote right here. And what's interesting is because when he mentioned in the scene that how am I alive? I mean, bullet wounds don't magically heal overnight. They right. do here, but not by magic technology. <laughs> yeah, and I, um, I would have swear, man, I would have liked a shorty Letitia Wright's character. If she would have teamed up with Tony Stark somewhere. I mean, they're both yeah. tech savvy as fuck. Yeah. And they're both deadpan, witty snarkers. Yeah. There's lots of good humor, man. Yeah. Like, and those two together, like you said, that's like... Uh... I mean, those two together would be cool as fuck, too, because of their mutual interests. I mean, I thought Doctor Strange and, uh, and, and Tony Stark sniping back at each other in Avengers Endgame. I thought that was cool. Yeah. But this, this would have worked, too. Yeah. And this was more like... like uh... Do you feel like this was more like a, an R&B kind of like? Yeah, because the soundtrack did have some R&B on it, definitely. I mean, even with the R&B mixed with the hip-hop tracks, yeah. there were some uh, solo R&B tracks as well, too. Yeah, but this was a good one. Um, I don't think you actually like hear like lyrics. They just play the instrumental. They play the instrumental as Ross as Ross wakes up and asks right. questions about questions about the vibranium technology that later becomes like a Chekhov's gun near the end of the film when they had the final fight. Yeah. And um, 
Then the next, then well, I'm, I was gonna sorry. Say, speaking of which, Ludwig Göransson, his soundtrack. I mean, in between this, in between this song, uh, Tumelo's song, and the rest of the songs in the film, I mean, the rest of the scores in the film, like um, the ancestral plane scene for both T'Challa and uh, Killmonger. Those yeah. were so, especially Killmonger's. The score was just so somber in his case. Yeah. And even the scenes were markedly different. Like when T'Challa, when he becomes king, goes to the ancestral plane, he's he's in like an African savanna with a purple sunset, right? Yeah. And talks to his father peacefully. And he has his ancestors waiting for him too, both times when he goes to the ancestral plane. Yeah. But Killmonger, his music, is just so, just so fucking sad, man. It's like he he's of royal blood, right? Right. But because he doesn't have any... Because his lineage, because he was raised American, yeah. and his father was killed from him too soon, it's like when he goes in the ancestral plane, what it is for him is that that apartment that he found his father's dead body in and that he was raised in, and it's cut off from the west of the Wakandan ancestral plane. Like you, when he walk, when Killmonger walks in the apartment, you see from the window the Waka- the purple savanna, but it's it, but it's encased. It's all four walls of the apartment, which re- which kind of symbolizes Killmonger's worldview. He's limited to that apartment because it's a moment that he's stuck in that he can't get out of. Yeah. He never truly got over his father's death. Yeah. And he only and the only royal ancestor waiting for him in there is his father. Yeah. I mean, and you can tell he was traumatized. Yeah, he was. I mean, he went he when you when we see the rest of the scene about when the Wakandan talent ship was taken off in the Oakland skyline back in ninety two, and Killmonger or Eric Stevens is looking at it all shocked and whatnot, like transfixed. It wasn't necessarily because he hadn't seen anything like that before. It's because he knew what it was. Yeah. His father told him all about Wakanda. So when he rushed in the house, ran through the gate, trying to go back into the apartment, he was probably thinking, I'm going to see my Wakandan relatives that my father always talked about. Yeah. But he did not expect to see his father's dead body and with the claws in there. And he knew that his father's family killed him. Yeah. Because he knew that they were meeting with with him, right? Well, he didn't know they were meeting with him, but when he saw the ship take off... Yeah, he he knew they were there. He knew they were there. Yeah, his father schooled him about Wakanda. Even gave him that vibranium lip tattoo when he was a kid. And that, I think, explains a lot of the anger from Killmonger's character. Yeah, yeah, and also a deleted scene. Oh, actually, not deleted scene, but more like what Kugler revealed about that flashback scene. Yeah. Because remember when uh, Njobu and Zuri... We're talking about, they looked like they were planning a heist in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Like a robbery. It wasn't a robbery. They were trying to break Njobu's wife, Killmonger's mother, out of jail because she got in prison for a crime that she didn't commit. Okay. So when Njobu gets killed by his brother and Zuri and James and Zuri just take off, Killmonger's mother dies in prison and he's left by himself. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, 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 he has a lot to be angry about, not just because of his family getting killed. Right. Not just because his father getting killed, and like he, him knowing that Wakanda is out there, but they and they knew he was out, and they knew he was in Oakland too, but they never came for him. Yeah. But because of all the hardships that he endured being a black kid on the streets of Oakland, but he grew out of it. I mean, like he, like they said in the film, he went to MIT when he was nineteen, then joined the joined Navy, the military. Yeah, Navy SEALs. And... Navy SEALs, a JSOC unit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he was. He had a lot to be angry about because you, you so that and in light of his background, you kind of sympathize with the character. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, like, you know, especially when you see like, you know, his how skilled he is with like weapons and yeah. he's got all the scars. Each one of them was for a kill, he said. And uh, Michael B. Jordan said there must have been like a thousand, a thousand of those prostheses put on me. 
I'm like, damn, Killmonger killed that many people. Damn. Yeah. They made it look real, though. I mean, they made like with the the that's oh, probably chest. why that's probably why they won the Academy Award because the like costume and production design were awesome. Oh yeah, well, when he kills Claw and he shows him, like, I ain't worried about no brand. Check these out. Each one of these is for a kill. But then when he goes to fight T'Challa in the waterfall scene, you right, see him like all over, all over his body. Yes, yeah, like how many people have you killed? Yeah, but that shows that even though. He's not necessarily the sociopath that, that one would lead a killer like people to think a killer like him is. Because at the very least, if he remembers the people that he killed and, and scars his body, then he, on some sense he must have some level of remorse. Yeah. Yeah, it's like some sort of self-mutilation. It is, yeah, like African scarification, which is which is what it's reminiscent of. Yeah. Because like, you see a lot of that in the film. Like Daniel Kaluuya's uh, character, Wakabi... Who's T'Challa's best friend? He has a like tribal scars in his face. Yeah, many ones, but still. Was he in uh, Sicario? Yeah, he was. Uh, what's her face's um, partner? Right? Partner, yeah. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, and they're both English, playing Americans in that film. Yeah, Macer and uh, the, the other guy's name. I forget. Is, but... I forget his name too. But he was good. He was good, and he his star rose. He got Academy Award nominated for Best Actor for uh, for Get Out next year. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was Jordan Peele's like Jordan film. Peele's first film that he wrote and directed. Yeah, and that was that was a good film too. Yeah, that's awesome, man. He gets nominated for, or he won one, right? He won an Academy Award for yeah. That Peele, film. Peele won best won the Oscar for best original screenplay. Yeah, oh, that's incredible, man. The guy's on fire. First shot out of the gate too. I mean, he's two for two with Get Out and and Us, and he wrote yeah. and he co-wrote the screenplay for the upcoming Candyman film too. <laughs> so I can't see. I can't wait to see what he his his take on the character is. That's gonna be crazy. It is. I mean, Peel. He's a smart dude, especially when it comes to like American culture, uh, uh, African American shit and whatnot. He really knows what the fuck he's talking about and knows how to turn things on their head. Like in Us, with Hands Across America from '86. I mean, he turned that into like a bloody tethered death grip. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that. that yeah. He. I have to. I have to see Get Out. Um, I heard really good things about it. Um, it, it was good. I mean, it was just like just like how everything was deliberate in Black Panther. Everything was deliberate in Get Out and Us as well, too. Plenty of visual Easter eggs and gags that you won't catch the first time. What was Us about? Like, it was more about you know, Get Out was more about race, but Us was more about like American privilege, like the haves and have nots. Okay. And even though he uses like a black protagonist for both films, really, Us was less about race and more about class. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so. The next track by Mozzie, Sleepwalking. Oh yeah, oh yeah. When they when the movie is bookended by going back to where it started. Yeah. That Oakland basketball court, but present day, and like you see the 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 record crate and the wooden board is still there, but now they got a real hoop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's played when T'Challa is on the the basketball court with uh, uh, Koye. And I, uh, sister Shuri. Oh Shuri, sorry. She, why did you bring me here? I thought when we were going to Oakland or California, you were say, you, we were to, you were talking about Coachella. And then Good he reveals, job. this is where our dad killed our uncle. And then Shuri really takes it seriously. She's like, they're tearing this building down. Good. No, no, no. They're not tearing it down. I bought it. And that one. And this one. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to bring Wakanda to the world. And with your science, you're going you're gonna to bring the, the science center right over there. I love to see. When she says Coachella, is she talking about the music festival? Yeah, she is. Yeah. She, she's 16 years old in the movie. <laughs> wow. But a 16-year-old tech genius. Yeah. Yeah. And when they didn't bring the, the Wakandan talent, they, 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 when it was cloaked on the basketball court, they uncloak it, and the kids are like, yo, what is that? It's like a spaced-out Bugatti right there, son. <laughs> Sell it on eBay. 
Bugatti. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this song is just really. I think it just fits so well, you know, in in the setting. But it's it's mm-hmm. kind of an, it's kind of uh, you know when you look at the lyrics, um, you know. Uh, the first line is yeah, like, yeah, I, we we done uh, come a long way, traveled, traveled down, down the, the wrong, wrong way. way. Like you could say that about Wakanda's history before T'Challa. Yeah, like how they isolated themselves from the rest of the world, um, wouldn't help anybody else that weren't their own. But by the end of the film, T'Challa is like, I'm changing all that. Yeah, like we were doing it wrong before. Now we're gonna do it right. And Killmonger, you could you could you could you could attribute that to T'Challa's thinking, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what do you think about the the song title Sleepwalking? Like, it it, it kind of it's like it's like going. I think it fits in the movie because of especially T'Challa's how he was before his second ancestral plane visit. Yeah, how he's basically sleepwalking through the film. Like he wants to do the right thing, but he wants to uphold tradition. And with everything he learned about Killmonger, his background being defeated by him. And then going to the ancestral plane again in the second second half of the film and asking his father, really, really going at his father and his ancestors. He he's lost the whole worship worship tone that he has for his father, the reverence. He's telling him flat out, "You were wrong to abandon your family, your nephew, my cousin. Just to, just you can pre- preserve our way of life." Nah. Now we've been sleepwalking, sleepwalking basically for too long. Now we got to do the right thing and wake up. Yeah. So do you think maybe he just didn't know, like he, like sleepwalking? You know, like when you actually sleepwalk, you don't know. you don't know that you're sleepwalking yet. He didn't know yeah. really much. He didn't yeah. know. Yeah, he was. Like he said, we let our fear of the rest of the world blind us from doing what's right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that message, like that kind of subliminal message that he he ties in there the, with the, at, using that song. And and at the UN too. I mean, given that this is a tr- this movie came out during Trump's presidency, and I think it has some jabs towards him, like only fools build walls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's crazy, man. We you know, it's also crazy times. You know, it's also crazy though. It's people, some people thinking that Wakanda is a real place. <laughs> I'm serious though. I mean, one kid he was shown to like actually give a whole presentation on Wakanda, right? And the kids in the audience were laughing, oh, but boy. the teacher thought it was a real place. What is this Wakanda? This sounds very interesting. Oh boy! And when she learned about it, she she learned it was fake later on. But I'm like, was that before or after you 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 gave him his grade? Idiot! Which I hope was an A, because <laughs> he's he's got an A for being able to pull that kind of deceit on the teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. Like you have all these, uh, you know. It's like with the wall, back to the wall thing. It's like, it's crazy because, um, you know, Ray, like I know Trump was a big Reagan fan and he's like, you know, I'm going to put up this wall. And what did Reagan do? He said, tear down this wall. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, it's just, just crazy. It's like, yeah, Republicans, they like have this reverence for Ronald Reagan. Right. But then they, then they do all this, all this stuff that he probably would have been against. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. We live in crazy times though. Indeed we do. Coronavirus, et cetera. All yeah. that. Yeah, it's chaos, right? <laughs> Chaotic world that we live in. Yes, it is. <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, I got these scars. Yeah. All right, man. So we go to what the the last song, Kendrick Lamar, um, All the Stars, played at the ending credits. Um, yeah, again, this is another good one. Um you know, lots of Kendrick Lamar all over lots the soundtrack. Um, and, and this is like the biggest hit from the soundtrack, too. But they saved the best. In the movie, they saved it for last. They played it at the start of the ending credits. Yeah. Yeah. And like and like you said, it, it reflects the um, relation of the T'Challa and, uh, 
and Koye. Koye. I forget her name. Uh, uh, Lupita and Yongle's character. Okay. Yeah. And he's in love with her, and he, even all the other people, even the Wakandan general, uh, uh, what's Okoye, she, she teases him about it. Do not freeze when you see her. I never freeze. <laughs> and he's talking with her. He wants her to stay in Wakanda and not be a war dog spy, but by the end of the film, he gets what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, they, you, you've, throughout the film, you kind of feel like there's this tension. Yeah, he, he likes her. He likes her. Yeah. Yeah, he wants her to stay. He wants, and he flirts with her continuously. Yeah, so it was nice to kind of see that uh, yeah, come yeah. together. It's like you're a king, but you're also a man, so and don't deny that. <laughs> and the lyrics are about love, too. Like, when you look at the lyrics, it says, love, let's talk about love. Is there anything and everything you hope for, mm-hmm. you know, or do the feeling haunt you? And the feeling haunt you. And, like, what's it called? More of, like, a love reunity between black Africans and black Americans, too. Yeah. Because, like, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like, this movie touched on things that black Americans know, but no, no one wants to talk about. Like, yeah. Like, I've known the black, black Africans that look down upon me because I'm black American. You're not really African. Like, and things like that, and treat me a certain way. And plenty of black Americans have had that experience, too. But, like, we're not someone, we're not all that much different, really. Culturally different and sociologically, yeah, we are. But at the end of the day, white people will bust my head just like they'll bust your head, too. A white cop, anyway. You know, it, I think it makes you think of, like like you said, these things that maybe you, you weren't as aware of, you know, in society and culture. So I think that that's what's really so genius about this movie. And, and, the, and the ghettos that are, that are in America, too. And the children that, are, that, are, that grow up in them. Killmonger's character reflects that. Yeah. And like I was saying before in the beginning of the podcast, like... You know, we we weren't fighting them; we were fighting each other, right? Like yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. Yeah, that's one thing. The, the especially with the black aspect of the film. Yes. So yeah, it, but it, I I'm I know they're doing a second one, right? They're going to be doing they one. Are. They are and, doing a second one. I mean, this film grossed one point three billion. Yeah, they got to do a second one, and they kind of alluded to what 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 might happen to it in um in Avengers Endgame. Yeah, there's a scene in there where they talk about the waters under Wakanda. They are they are raging right now. I'm like. Water, Wakanda, Prince Namor, maybe the Submariner who rules Atlantis. Marvel's—I'm not going to say Marvel's version of Aquaman. I'm just going to say DC's Aquaman. That's their version of Prince Namor because he was out years before Aquaman. Okay. Yeah. So, and he—he's a ruler of an underwater kingdom. So it's like if they pit him against T'Challa, that'll be a good film as well too, and it could be a good way for Marvel to finally bring their mutant characters into the Marvel universe MCU. Yeah. Do you think it's gonna like stick, you know, to the the story continuity? Oh yeah, of the of the character and yeah, they're definitely gonna they're not gonna forget they're not gonna disregard continuity. But I also think it'll be a different story. Yeah, I don't think they they're gonna bring Killmonger back because he died at the end of the film, and though people loved him, yeah, and Wakanda probably does with the technology that could revive him. It's like uh uh-uh, uh uh uh, just don't don't bring him back. And if you do, give him a scene on the ancestral plane. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. It sounded like Michael Michael B. Jordan was like, you know, super enthusiastic about that film. I'm sure he'll try he, to try to come back if you know as a, the opportunity a, presents itself. He's a he's a comic book fan and a reader too. So yeah, he was definitely enthusiastic, especially when it come to, came to playing a villain. Yeah, and he and he was one of the and personally, I think he was one of the MCU's best villains. I mean, Tom Hiddleston's Loki was dope, but Michael B. Jordan's character is like you kind of see. You kind of see, a lot of black viewers kind of see themselves in that character a little bit, a little of themselves. I think it also proves that he's got a range, right? As he, an actor, he does have range. Yes, he does. 
I mean, one friend of mine told me that he felt like he's a good actor, but he felt like he was playing more of a caricature, like a stand-in for Black America. Like, not so much really. I mean, they gave him, they made him, he he, they gave him character development. I mean, they didn't if he was one-dimensional, he would just be pissed off all the whole, all the whole movie. Yeah. Which he kind of is, but he, it's tranquil. Like when we first see him in the film, well, his adult version in that in that museum, and and he's talking to that that English lady who was talking was supposed to be the expert on all those artifacts, and when he schools her about the one that was that she thought was from Benzir or Benir or whatever, and says it's from Wakanda. Yeah. And then he's like, "Not for sale. How do you think your ancestors got these? You think they paid a fair price? You think they took it just like they take everything else?" Jeez. It's like, okay. Like whoa. And then she's like, a uh, security, like, you got all the security watching me, but you wouldn't even check what you put in your body. That's when she gets the message and then starts choking right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is, he is really like, his career is, is, is like exploded. I mean, he, he was, I just remember seeing him on the wire as Wallace. Wallace, yeah. And, 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 and his, his character, he became like a, became like a subject of a bunch of memes like where the fuck is wallace but with d'angelo um larry gilliers jr face on there though yeah yeah like where's wallace i mean that's as big of a question as what does marcel's look like or where's waldo yeah so there's a bunch of songs that you know are on this song this soundtrack um that aren't in the film you know kendrick lamar had a couple you know a couple more than a couple of, of, a lot <laughs> he, he did yes yeah. some of them could have been included in there like one song i think it was uh it may have been X or King's Dead, I think it was, where he says, he juxtaposes himself in the chorus by saying, I am T'Challa, I am Killmonger. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Khalid, The Ways, that song, I actually yeah. thought that was like for a second. I was like, is that DJ Khalid or it's, it's mm-hmm. different, uh, different it's artist? Khalid, yeah. D- the other one, DJ Khaled. Khaled, yeah. sorry. <laughs> we the best. <laughs> Idiot. I can't pronounce names, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, a lot of a lot of good songs on here. Um, like I said, Kendrick Lamar is all he's all over it. Um, Vince but, Staples, that was a surprise. Anderson Pock is not really a surprise at all. He's from the West Coast. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I, and and this soundtrack did well, right? I it, mean, it did really good. It, it, it the soundtrack at least went platinum. Yeah, I mean that's incredible for soundtrack, right? Like, well, it was incredible for an album in general, considering album sales these days. Yeah, like we're like a ringtone. Do they even do ringtones anymore? Or or a Spotify song can go platinum, but the album won't even go gold. Yeah, ringtones they still do, and I, I'm wondering if they get like any royalties from that. That's an interesting. I think question. They do. I think they do. Like when uh, at first they probably didn't, but like considering the the, the digital. The legislation or laws regarding digital digital media and digital uh, intellectual property, I think now they finally do. Yeah. Well, that's good. At least they get something. It so. is good. It is good. That, uh, although I do praise Napster and all MP3 and streaming services for finally for, for making it easier so people want to physically haul all their music collection around. Yeah. Even though I still collect physical media. Yeah. I still have CDs in my car. And- sure. I got CDs in my car right now. I'm not, I'm not going to stop CDs until they actually physically discontinue them. Yeah. And I and I do records as well. I you know LPs and I have a record player. And you know they're bringing back cassettes. Really? Yeah, that was. I mean, between vinyl and and CDs, cassettes just felt really more clunky, clunky, impractical. Well, not impractical, but it's just like it's like you you got you got to keep stabbing the the fast forward button if you want to get to song song five. If you have a cassette player in your car, you want to get to song five with a CD, just press it five times yeah. or a few times or less than that. 
Yeah, there's more work, I feel like, with a cassette. Yeah, it's like automatic and stick shift. <laughs> well, you can thank Guardians of the Galaxy for cassette tapes coming back, right? Like Maybe, maybe, yeah. But now with the second one, when they had a Microsoft Zoom, maybe they can bring that back new and improved. <laughs> well, hey, man, thanks for doing this. This was awesome. Oh, you're um, welcome, bro. Had a great time. Um, we'll have to do another Marvel, uh, Marvel uh, soundtrack soon. And, uh, you know, we're definitely doing Guardians Volume 3 when that comes out. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to make a pile of money as well. Oh, yeah, it definitely will. Because even though I thought the soundtrack cost more than the movie, was like half the movie budget itself, if not more, they they recouped. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, the, that's, that's the draw that these uh, movies have, right? Yeah, and, and with Disney behind them, the directors, they can afford to write their own ticket. Yep, definitely. Well, hey, man. Uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, I'll see you next time. All right, bro. Next time it is. This podcast is available on my YouTube channel, Rotunes Reviews. It's also available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other major podcast distributors as well. So if you don't mind, please leave me some feedback. I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter. My Twitter handle is at RotunesRevs. I'm on Instagram, and I'm also on the Untapped app. My username is Brewtuned. This is Andrew signing off. Cheers. Cheers.